0: Hi there, and welcome to the Nerds of Business podcast. My name is Darren Moffat. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency, and I'm your host. It's great to have you with us for episode eight of the product development series. If you're new to this podcast, our vision is to make entrepreneurs happier by solving the key challenges that all businesses must overcome one problem at a time. Regular listeners will know that in the previous episode, we looked at the topic of business models and specifically how to match the right business model to your product or service idea. One of the main reasons why this is so important for startups in particular is because it's a key consideration for investors. Raising capital is often a make or break stage in the product development cycle Many promising startups need external funding in order to build out or scale the technology required to realize their product vision. But raising capital is notoriously difficult, and not just for precocious millennial or Gen Z founders, even seasoned entrepreneurs with a proven track record and established networks can find it a soul-destroying process. As you're about to hear in our opening story, one such founder had to pitch more than a 1,000 times to different investors before he was able to unlock a flow of capital from the American venture capital community. 2012. A New York man called John Foley launches his new startup at the age of 42. But John is no ingenue. A qualified engineer, he's already an established name in the tech industry with 15 years experience in senior leadership roles. In 1997, John helped build citysearch.com into a household brand. He's also served as president of the famous book retailer BarnesandNoble.com. And he's confident his new idea of an exercise bike that connects riders via the internet will be a smash hit. He calls it Peloton and quickly raises seed capital from friends, partners and family. As the company enters the long cycle of product development, John begins to pitch what he genuinely believes to be a 10 out of 10 proposition to venture capital firms. And this is where the trouble begins. It soon becomes apparent that no one is interested. Every investor he speaks to is a skeptic. Some even describe the fitness category as dopey. He soon racks up hundreds of unsuccessful pitch meetings. The answer is always no, Although, interestingly, the reason given often varies. Some tell him he's too old. Others don't like the idea of investing in hardware. And some Silicon Valley VCs even reject him on the basis of his East Coast location. So John gets creative. By 2013, his team have built several prototypes, which they use in the marketing material for a Kickstarter campaign. It works and the company is able to raise $300,000 from small investors. Meanwhile, John keeps pitching to VCs for institutional money, but continues to be rejected. So he expands his focus to smaller angel investors. Although his strike rate is low, a trickle of investment capital does start to flow. By the time he's raised the company's first $10 million, he's pitched to 3,000 people to win over just several hundred angel investors. By contrast, not one of the 400 institutions he's pitched to say yes. Fast forward to 2020 and Peloton is now a publicly listed company with annual revenue of more than $1.7 billion. And what of those 400 VCs who turned John down? Well, they missed out on one of the most extraordinary growth stories of the decade. Thanks in part to COVID and the need for safe alternatives to the local gym, the company is now valued at a whopping $20 billion. Now, I'd like to declare a credit here. I first became aware of the Peloton story through one of my favourite ever podcasts, Masters of Scale, with Reid Hoffman. If you're not already a fan, please check it out. It's amazing. And listen to the interview with John Foley for the full story on Peloton. As you can probably tell by my little preview here, it's a fascinating tale of grit and determination over the long haul. It shows that sometimes founders can be so early with an innovative product or market opportunity that even seasoned investors don't get it. According to John Foley, it was because the category of boutique fitness was a blind spot for Silicon Valley VCs. They weren't seeing the very clear consumer trends happening on the East Coast. And because he was essentially creating an entirely new category with Peloton, no market data was available for his pitch deck. If you're thinking of doing a startup or creating a new product and you need to raise capital... What can you do to get investors truly excited? How do you convince enough people to put their own money into the business that it potentially changes your life forever?
1: Three,
2: two, one, go. I love data. I love kind of looking through the data. You need to have systems, you need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is unstoppable. We kind of hit a point where we were like, we need another lever. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you.
0: <laughs> this is Nerds of Business. We'll start the show in a minute, but first, a word from our sponsor.
2: Hi everyone, it's Ben Carew here. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. I work alongside the host of this podcast, Darren Moffat. If you're a business owner who wants to grow, but you don't have the spare funds to invest in marketing right now, you're not alone. Since COVID hit, we've noticed more clients suspending campaigns or delaying their marketing altogether due to cash flow issues. In response to this, we developed a solution called Buy Now, Pay Later Digital Marketing. It provides eligible small businesses with nothing to pay on SEO, digital marketing and website development for up to three months. We think it's perfect for entrepreneurs who need a helping hand getting sales flowing again. I'll be back later in the show to explain how it works, but if you can't wait, you can download a free info pack now at webbuzz.com.au slash bnpl. That stands for Buy Now, Pay Later. That's webbuzz.com.au slash bnpl.
0: So the title of today's episode... And the problem we're trying to solve is raising capital for startups. How, when, and what venture capitalists look for in a product. It's a massive show today, and we've assembled a truly awesome panel of nerds to help you get some definitive answers. You'll hear from a founder who's successfully raised $13 million for her PropTech tech startup And our two product design experts will share personal insights drawn from their own startup experiences and observations. If you're a founder or business owner and you want to raise capital from investors, this might just be the most important podcast we've ever produced because our feature interview today is with the partner of a top venture capital firm. He lifts the lid on the internal processes VCs use to screen investment pitches and reveals what it takes to get funded by institutional money. Here's a sneak peek.
1: If I was looking at a product, there's sort of two main things. One would be what is the problem that it's solving? So how big is it? How fast is it growing? And more important than anything else, how big is the pain point? I want to be able to talk to a customer and they've got to tell me this is killing me. I need this product to be able to, you know, give me give me a solution. And then when I look at the product itself, I'm not generally, and you know, we're a little bit different, but from our perspective, we're looking for a thing called a sort of a 10x rule. But first, here's just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying
0: Nerds of Business, to please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. It means you'll automatically receive each new episode every fortnight, and it makes it easier for us to stay in touch. Music So if you're looking for investment in your company, one of the first things you need to understand is that there are different stages of capital raising. Where your business is at in the product development cycle will often dictate what type of investment round you'll undertake. Emlyn Scott is the co-founder of CP Ventures. CP Ventures are a leading venture capital firm for early stage companies and in 2018, They were actually recognised as one of the top VCs in the world. In fact, they already have a unicorn or two in their portfolio. Emlyn and his partner Chris are both experienced entrepreneurs themselves and embrace an entrepreneur-first philosophy, which is clearly a major factor in their success. I
1: began by asking Emlyn to explain the different stages of raising capital. So there's no universal definition that I've been able to come across. So we have our own kind of version of what we think is you know, pre-seed, seed and then after that is your series A, series B. Mm. So the way we look at it is, is pre-seed generally is a business that is in development but is not live yet. So it's not generating any revenue, doesn't have any paying customers mm. as such. So they, they've, they've gone some way. Even before that you might have your, your friends and family around, your ideation, that sort of area. So So they're in some level of development, they can show us something. Um, then once they go live, they usually haven't got product market fit. We also define it as sub sort of $100,000 a month in turnover, and that'll be a seed stage for us. Series A kicks in at $100,000 through to sort of $200,000, $250,000 a month in turnover. Um, and thereafter, you go Series B, Series C. Now, there's exceptions to the rule. There always is. Um, and so some businesses will be a Series A business, even if it hasn't gone live, if you know they're in R&D for a long time and they're building something, it takes a lot of money, a lot of skills. There might be deep tech or mid-tech or something like that. So there are exceptions, but that's kind of a rule of thumb.
0: Later in the show, Emlyn will return and he'll reveal exactly what makes a startup investable. So stick around for that. But before we get to what VCs are looking for, I think it's really useful to understand how they go about screening and filtering the proposals they receive from startup founders. What Emlyn is about to share is an eye-opening insight into the reality of pitching to investors. And, you know, you mentioned earlier sort of <clears throat> offline before we started recording that you guys see a huge volume of pitch decks yes, um, daily, yeah. so <laughs> some solicited, some unsolicited. Yep. Um, firstly, how many of those just get immediately rejected and why might be uh, also an interesting sub-question. But the point that I'm super interested in is – What's that? You must get a bit of a, like a little feeling, I would imagine, some sort of almost like pattern recognition. Oh, yeah. Where you go, hmm, yeah, there's something here. Like, I like this. Like, maybe step us
1: through that as well. Yeah. So the, what's not normally sort of known or spoken about is for a successful VC there's four key components and what you're talking about is what I' sort of referred to as the second or first and second component which is the, the deal flow coming in and the screening process so for the well for, for the deal flow for us uh, Chris and I would probably look at five to ten deals a day uh, each um, in terms of volume, wow, um, massive, yeah. and like I mentioned, you know earlier when you know when we go to the US, we'll look at 200 to 250 businesses in the, in each trip um, that we go over. Obviously, you know we're not traveling right now, but you know right. when we do those trips, so you do build up real pattern recognition. You can almost immediately see ones that have got potential. That being said, that's the qualitative aspect of it. We have a quantitative aspect to our process as well. It's very fast, but we break businesses down into sort of 18 key components. We have sub-questions. It's all on a kind of a spreadsheet. Um, And then from that, we have those weighted and scored. We use averages, geometric calculations, and also um, uh, um, uh, weighted averages as well as a way of trying to ferret out what is uh, naturally a bias kind of thing that humans will do. We'll look at something and we'll go, oh, we really like that founder, or we really like this idea can we make it work are we seeing everything well that makes us take a step back and bring a little bit of sort of you know calmer you know um, uh, measure to our to our you know to our decision making process and we'll do that independently to remove group think think as well so and then we'll bring that together on on kind of like a spider spreadsheet so we can see what each other are thinking and why we're thinking what we're thinking about a deal um, to it sounds incredibly
0: nerdy, Emlyn. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> loving this already. Like <laughs> it's, and, and, and to those founders out there that, that don't get through the VC gate, it's like, in, in some sense, this is death by Excel or death by spreadsheet. There must be times, however, mm. where maybe the numbers don't quite stack up, but you still go with it.
1: Uh, they're usually the mistakes we make. Ah, yeah. that's interesting. So the ones that... That stack up they always get through and they they, they absolutely kill it mm. so the, the 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 screening process that we've done quantitatively has been refined over years mm. to come up with what we've got it's very simple but it's very powerful and this is this obviously forms some of your
0: IP some of your competitive advantage as a VC mm. would that be right like do I, I would imagine other VCs would have some variation on this yeah
1: I would expect so. Um, You know, they don't sort of always lift the hood off to know exactly how they do what they do. Um, And then you need to do it differently depending on what stage you're investing. So at the pre-seed and seed stage that we look at, there's, there's not that much to go on. So you'll have sort of three main areas that you'll go on. You'll, you'll look at the business itself. You'll look at the market environment in terms of how fast is it growing, how big is it, the pain point, the sort of stuff that I spoke about earlier. But then you'll also be, um, be looking at the competitive landscape. And it's those three together that kind of make up the overall kind of assessment Later on, it's far more obvious that a business is doing well. I mean, if you're a Series A, Series B, you've now got revenue coming in. You can go and talk to customers. Mm -hmm. You can start to see churn rates. There's all sorts of things that you can do that make it far more obvious that this is going to be a really high potential. The converse of that is the price is going to be much higher. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to get the higher multiples, the higher returns, because you're now paying up to get into a deal. Yeah. And to that point, you
0: guys have got a pretty amazing portfolio already. I mean, it might be a good opportunity to step us through a key couple of key um, highlights of your portfolio, the companies that you guys have invested in that have gone on to, in some cases, become unicorns?
1: Yeah, so um, we'll, we're both angel investors as well as as VC investors. So from the VC side, we, we started in 2018, so it's still early to, to have them going through to unicorn. Um, we've now got our first and probably another one or two coming through to north of 100 million coming through uh, the portfolio now, which is great. One I'd love to talk about, but it's it hasn't put out its press release to say that it's just raised twenty million Series B, okay. um, and and well oversubscribed. Um, but you know, this is going from a seed stage investment through to north of hundred million in eighteen months. So wow. you know, these are phenomenal growth rates. These are ten to 20, ten to fifteen percent month-on-month compound growth rates. Um, In terms of the sectors that we look at, you know, we're we're, we're playing in this thing that, you know, if you look at the portfolio, every one of them will will be in the sort of fourth industrial revolution kind of thematic. um, And that's kind of the futuristic of where is the...
3: That's nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: knew you were going to do that to me. You know,
0: I I think she's going to be very active in our chat today somehow, (laughs) Emily. But um, maybe uh, the the fourth industrial um, revolution that you just described, give us a bit more context for that.
1: Yeah, so... um, the fourth industrial revolution just like there's as you could probably guess three industrial revolutions prior preceding that yep. each one is a is a is a sea change in in technology and it's usually a combining of of, um, of communication energy and transport at the same time um, so originally there was steam then you had gasoline um, then you moved to to, um, to sort of renewables which you know we've had for a while but it's now getting better and better and now we're getting into autonomous vehicles and that yep. sort of generation in terms of communication you, you know you have the telephone you have the computer and you know now we're getting into ai for communication yeah. so these are the evolutions. so you know we would all be familiar with it we see it we just don't think about it that way um so in terms of our companies you know we invested in you know micro satellites where it would have been cost tens or hundreds of millions of dollars you can now do it for a few million can launch a satellite Um, and so you know in the case of that particular company they're testing for methane and so that 10x rule applies they can now test for methane a hundred times better than what exists today so we have another one that's for geolocation so uh, you know we use gps today and a gps uh, telephone can tell you where you are to a sort of 50 to 100 meter radius well this will be able to do it down to a 30 centimeter radius indoor and outdoor so gps doesn't work indoor um, and so that's quantum. So that changes everything for autonomous vehicles because autonomous vehicles can't see around corners. So this and all for drones and for warehouses and logistics. So this is all that sort of e- evolution of and then IoT devices to be able to communicate and geolocate. So there, you can you know these things are coming and when you see them you go yes that's a that's a quantum shift in in the way things are things are moving. Um, if you were to think about computers for examples you know. We, we've had Moore's law of of, of you know uh, of, of, of uh, com- uh, computers getting more powerful every t- you know doubling every two years. Yep. So what does it move now as we're starting to hit you know the, the sort of the top level of Moore's law? Well, you get quantum computing coming in, and so mm-hmm. that's the next evolution. So we've invested into a quantum computing company. So a lot of these things is you know they're coming, you can see them, you can see how fast they're moving. It's a matter of then trying to find who do you think are going to be the winners in that particular vertical.
0: Mm-hmm. Regular listeners will know that Ross Gales from Sydney Agency Pollen is one of our two product design experts for this series. Now, while Ross has designed product solutions for some of the biggest brands in Australia, he's also worked with loads of startups. So he's had a front row seat in the capital raising process for many promising ventures. I asked Ross to share the common mistakes to avoid when raising capital, and the opportunities that a lot of founders seem to miss.
4: Yeah, so we've we've helped quite a few businesses seek investment in their platforms, and, and a big part of that is making sure um, that you've you're super clear on 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 your product proposition um, or, or your USP, what makes you unique in the market. Yep. Um, that, that's critical and in terms of understanding and the go-to-market strategy behind that is all about how do you communicate your value and your USP mm. and i've seen so many businesses get that wrong they go out thinking that they're just another platform like x or the the uber of this or the airbnb of that mm. um, without really thinking like what is it that makes me uniquely different in this market that 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 customers will you know see me as as something that really helps them to get that job done or you know to deliver that type of value mm-hmm. um, so so it's the, 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 if if you build it they will come mantra. Um, yeah. is, I just hear that too much. It, it really is, a, I've got a great idea, let's build it, they will come. I think that's the biggest mistake people can make. Like I've talked about validation and ensuring that we're always checking with the customers on on that. But it's also about um, making sure that you've got a, a, something unique about your product. And I really advocate for that. And, and that's sort of find your differentiation and really double down on that and tell that story about why your product's different. Um, the other one I'd say is is companies that really overestimate their reach and their earning potential. Yeah, many times I see these investor presentations and decks that they come to, to me with and say, we've got this big idea and it's going to make us a billion dollars. It's like, no, it won't.
0: <laughs> it, <laughs> it may do. I'm I, might have, I might have been guilty of, of writing one of those decks, not the ones that you've seen, but I've, I think in the past I might have written one of those those. Uh, sort of pie in the sky, Dick. So you're quite right. It's a very common pitfall.
4: Yeah. Look, yeah. and 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 investors see straight through it. Really, that's yeah. that's the that's key thing. Is 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 it's um it, it's very easy to try and get excited and overestimate the numbers. But the realist, the reality is, is unless you've got the, the the quantitative research to back up your market potential, your reach, audience size, mm-hmm. understand the value of your customers, and can can demonstrate that with some rigor, um, then. It's just numbers on a page, yeah, so I think that's key, and I think it's it's something that you know, it can't be taken too lightly that when particularly when seeking investment in an idea, um, understanding the earning potential is is a large part of what attracts investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're ultimately in it for money, um, and the other thing I would say is that they they want an exit, so understanding your your exit strategy for your product is another uh-huh. critical piece of that yeah so so having a, a clear idea of of when those investors will get their money back. And how much is the earning potential? Tie those things together, um, and demonstrating how you're differentiating from other solutions. So demonstrate the value, understand the potential, have a clear exit strategy. Is is the is the key to a, to a good investor deck? Yeah. I think the 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 ones that I that I see struggle are the ones who aren't clear on either of those things. They don't have a USP, and they don't know what their potential earning value is, um, and they, they just fail to understand the the that. Ultimately, investors want to pay out at some point, so there needs to be a clear exit.
0: Yeah, they're investors, not a bank. That's right. And our other product design nerd for this series, Carrie Peters, also had some highly useful insights on this topic. She's now product design principal at Sydney Agency Us Too, but before she moved to Australia and took up that role... She was a startup founder herself in the States, so she's had first-hand experience of raising capital and pitching to VCs. Listen to Carrie as she shares her own personal story.
5: Well, I can tell you a painful story from my own experience being being a part of a startup from early days is that we didn't make good enough or draw clear enough boundaries between what the product was and what it was meant to do and who it was going to solve problems for. Yep. We didn't draw a boundary between that and what investors or potential partners wanted. Yep. So we found ourselves being a little bit of a, you know, we talked earlier about that, um, that person that wants everyone to like them. We ended up creating this little bit of a Frankenstein of a product uh. Because we kept on being like, oh, we really need that investment money. And all they want is a feature that does. And then the next thing you know, there's another partner that wants something slightly different than that. And um, I think as much as you can be very, very true and very crystal clear on what your value proposition is, and you can you go in, it is your job to know that and to go in there and tell the investors, this is what this is and this is what this does, Um and then their job is to decide if it's something they want to invest in. If they really have product um, opinions and they want to shift what you're doing, I would, as hard as it is, I would say walk away from it because you'll end up not creating the thing that was, you know, originally intended. It's a really hard thing to do, but I, it's really painful to, to end um, a startup knowing that you didn't actually make the thing that you you had initially or solve the problem for for the people that you initially wanted to. Um, so that's a bit of a a tale to, to be warned by.
0: Well, if I had a sad music sample, I'd play it right now. Yeah, uh, but violin, sad violin, violin, I, I, violin. Yes, um, <laughs> a, a low foreboding drone. Um, I, I think I might be able to dial something up. But I think there's a lot of value in what you just said there, because you know, uh, yeah, we we did a tech, start, tech startup ourselves about you know six seven years ago. Mm. And, uh, you know, that notionally failed, but you know we learned a lot and, and sort of spun off into a different business, which is okay. Yep. But the thing is that um, investors don't know everything. Mm. You know, that's a key message I think no. entrepreneurs and startups need to hear. Like, just because you get knocked back or people don't understand your product or the market or the value proposition doesn't mean you're wrong.
5: Um,
0: it, it, In fact, it could very well mean that, the investors are wrong, and, and there have been plenty of cases or stories, uh, you know, in in the investment communities where people have just have got it wrong and they've missed out on a great, great opportunity.
5: I do think, like, if you can if you can find a way to do less rounds of funding, it will be better for your product because you have less moments of needing to kind of stop focusing on the product and quickly trying to impress someone. The more you can kind of do it in a, a more of a long play. You know, get just enough investment and just be really smart with what you do with it. Um, don't blow it all, and then need to go do another round of investment a year later. Like it's you need you need to give yourself long stretches of time where you're really focusing on the product. Um, anecdotally, when I came to Australia, I found I found it very interesting that the startups that I would go and speak with, um, they've all been around a lot longer. And I feel like the model for investing here is slightly better than in San Francisco, where it's all about this really quick. Like it's almost a A badge for doing your next round of funding, but I feel like it shouldn't be like I feel like that longer play that you should be able to be a startup still six years later, as opposed to San Francisco, where it's like, oh yeah, I made it all the way through all the rounds of funding and I sold it in year two. That to me means you've made a not a product for people, but a product for investors, and I think that's scary. And I think it's you know for all the Australian, um, I guess, entrepreneurs out there, good on ya. (laughs) Um, do the long play. It'll be better for people, the people that you're solving Better for for. people, yeah. Yeah.
0: So what I'm taking, I'm taking a lot out of that um, just before we move on to the next Mm -hmm. question. But, you know, it seems to me that purity, the purity of the idea, the purity of the value proposition, Mm -hmm. purity of the design thinking, Mm -hmm. uh, you obviously place a premium on that. You'd rather have... That purity maintained for as long as possible, then get corrupted essentially mm. to some extent by the very necessary capital raising process.
5: Um, yes, but with an asterisk, and this this is why. I, so you need to know what your objective is. If you go into being an entrepreneur with this idea that you're going to. Um, be a successful entrepreneur and that is your objective then you can totally do the other model. You can totally be like I'm going to literally just find out what investors will invest in and I'm cuz they're my they're literally my user. They're my market. They're the, they're my market, they're my audience yeah. and you just pivot your product your way up to selling it to someone. Um and that's your objective then that's good. But if your objective is to actually solve a problem or like create a thing for people then you need to keep that objective ever ever present, ever sort of in mind. So it depends on the objective, I guess.
0: So if you're a startup founder, or you're launching a new business that will need to raise capital in future, then the biggest question you might be asking yourself right now is what will make my company investable? That is, what are external investors really looking for when they get pitched by founders? Well, it's actually a bit of a mystery. When I started research for this episode, I noticed that although there's a lot of general content online about raising capital, there are actually very few interviews with venture capitalists, and fewer still where the principal of a firm reveals exactly what they're looking for. Well, I'm pleased to say that's about to change. In this feature interview with Emlyn Scott from CP Ventures, He lifts the hood on the key metrics and signs VCs are looking for in early stage companies. What follows is, I think,
1: essential listening for any startup founder. (laughs) Such an easy question. Um, So I would caveat it to start with that we look at far more than a product. So we'll often tell businesses, especially ones that have got some hardware component, because they love their products. It's like, look at my product. This is awesome. And you go, yeah, yeah, but... We're investing in a business, not a product. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. So there's a lot more. So if you were to take a a standard sort of pitch deck, there'd be 18 slides. Product would be one of those 18 things that we look at to sort of put it in context. Mm -hmm. If I was looking at a product, there's sort of two main things. One would be what is the problem that it's solving? So how big is it? How fast is it growing? And more important than anything else, how big is the pain point? I want to be able to talk to a customer and they've got to tell me this is killing me. I need this product to be able to, you know, give me, give me a solution. And then when I look at the product itself, I'm not generally, and, you know, we're a little bit different, but from our perspective, we're looking for a thing called a, sort of a 10X rule. And so this is something, as I sort of mentioned right at the beginning. That's uh, nerdy. That's very nerdy. <laughs> the 10X rule that you've you've – Awaken the uh, – you got the attention of the nerd bot there. What's the 10X rule, Emily? So the, 10, the 10X rule is, is literally, is it 10 times better than the preceding product before it or what people are using currently? So that sort of relates back to what I said, you know, sort of rather being a breakthrough technology, something that is just a quantum improvement. So So a case in point might be something like the iPhone versus the phone before it. It was just a quantum improvement over the the product before that just decimates the competition. So we're looking for something like that, you know, a real IP or USP component to it that that is just so frigging hard that someone's now cracked it, and that's what we'll be looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, fantastic. And, um, you know, just to expand on that point a little bit,
0: are you looking for products... And businesses, of course, yep. not just products, but are you looking for products that are global in application or are you happy to look at a great idea that, you know,
1: might just dominate
0: sort of Asia Pacific?
1: Yeah, for, for, for us, um, usually it's global. So, I mean, that's one of the beauties of why uh, VCs in particular like software because software can be, uh, you know, global from day one to an extent. So there's there's usually sort of three types of model. There's there's the one where it can be instantly global. Think of Twitter, say for example, or even Facebook, even though they didn't do it that way, but it's global. Um, then you've got ones where it's sort of semi-global, so they need to put people in each of the jurisdictions uh, just as sort of local hubs, but they can expand it really fast. So think of something like Uber. Yep. Um, so that's sort of the case in point. And then you've got local ones. They're often in the tech space something like fintech where you've got to get licenses yep. um, and you need to have a real expertise. Every country is slightly different. We generally don't look for things like that because they're too limited. They're too hard. Um, we're we're looking for something that is in those sort of the first two categories. Asia's okay because Asia's you know, massively growing, um, and you know it's it's from a psychology uh, psychology perspective is very different to sort of the US market, so that's okay. Um, so and even India because that's again you know massive market. Um, so we'll look at something that can be um, limited to those, but in time could go outside our jurisdiction as well if needed.
0: Okay, when it comes to actually you're developing products and designing products like when when do you where is that line that you know this might be difficult for you to answer but where is that line where it's it's no longer just a dream Mm. it's moving into reality
1: it's moving into something that is investable there's literally just so many components that go into to making that but if i would try and pull out one sort of key one it would be the the vision of the founder Ah. uh, or the founders Um, so they've got to have not only the the vision of where they think this thing could go but also the capacity to be able to deliver it and it's quite common within VC not so much in Australia but overseas that founders get replaced on the journey and I get why Um, It's very hard to be a CEO. It's even harder to be a startup CEO and still capable of running a big business and doing that that journey through. And often they'll need different people at different stages for for the businesses. But it comes back to, again, what does the founder really want to build? Um, Because we see ones that they they just want to get the capital, but the capital might be because they need the capital as opposed to it's for accelerating the business. Um, And so there's different drivers for why businesses seek capital. It might be more survival as opposed to actually they just need it for fuel, for growth, which is the the area that we're much more interested in. Of course, of course. Um, uh, And on the topic of raising capital, you know, for a new business
0: or a a startup with a a killer product idea, you're in sort of maybe seed or pre-seed stage. Mm. What do you think is, is the absolute most important part of the process for a startup? of so the, the capital raising process, what is the most
1: important component of that? So I would say it's it's preparation probably. Okay. Um, we see too many businesses that go, okay, we're ready to raise capital. Now what do we do? Okay, let's go and raise some money. Yep. And you go, well, you should have been thinking about that 12 months ago yep. and preparing for it. Um, It takes a long time to build up the relationships with your future funders, uh, potentially, or at least it's a lot easier if you've built up those relationships. It takes a while to get your pitch deck right, to get the messaging right, to know what hits home. And so we'll often see decks that have been written too much from the sales perspective. So they're trying to sell to a customer as opposed to they're now selling to a VC that's now looking at it from the lens of, are you an investable company? And it's a very different lens that we'll be putting on the business. Um, so, to just go out there and just go, oh, we're just going to raise and you know and scattergun, it just doesn't work uh, very effectively. Those that are prepared for it have a much smoother journey through that that capital raising cycle. And what do you think? I mean, obviously, the pitch deck is super important, right? So, yes.
0: for those listeners that might not be familiar with that terminology, the pitch deck is essentially a slide deck, a PowerPoint mm-hmm. that's been very refined and the messaging and the numbers are very compressed it's very high level stuff yes Um, and uh, you alluded to earlier it's about 18 slides um Mm -hmm. now um what are are some tips there do you think that it's valid for instance i mean there are consultants and companies that you can hire to polish your pitch deck Mm -hmm. so to speak uh is is, you know is that worthwhile um you, you know
1: Bringing in outside consultants to sort of grease the wheels with the VC community. What are your thoughts on all of that? Uh, consultants, I'm usually not a fan of. It's certainly at our stage, there's a yep. place for them. Um, it's usually later stage when yep. it starts becoming more institutional and professional. So that's probably your series B and above. Okay. Um, prior to us, uh, p- prior to that stage, we're far more um, concerned with can the founder hustle? And so if they bring in a consultant, they're not showing that skill set. I want to know that they can go out and they can sell because it's usually a founder-led business at that point in time. So that will be a massive red flag for us if we see uh, a consultant bringing in a business early uh, in the cycle. Um, uh, in terms of other sort of skill sets around it, absolutely bring those in. You, you want your deck to look amazing. I want to open it up and just go, wow, these guys are on top of their business. So you,
0: you obviously want to see
1: an investment in great design. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I know it's superficial, but it, it says something about the way that founders think that everything's got to be done right. Yeah. Um, that they don't just go, oh, sort of, she'll be right. And, you know, i will get to that in sometime in the future. Or even that raising capital and looking after investors isn't important. Because we're in partner, it's, it's a type of marriage, you know, where, we're, you know, and often lasts a lot longer than marriage would, um, you know, we're there for the next five to possibly up to 10 years. And it's never as good as right at the beginning. And we want to know that they're going to take that relationship seriously. They're just not going to see us as money coming in, but actually as a partner of that business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, we touched on this before, but a slight digression. So at that point, when you're getting approached by a startup, the product, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you want to see some sort of prototype, Uh, you want to see certainly some validation for the product idea, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe give us a little bit more detail on the, the types or levels of product development that you want to see at that investable stage.
1: Yeah, so at the pre seed, where you know, often you won't see very much, yeah. um, so it's much more reliant on the capacity or the capabilities of the founder. Yeah. So we'll be looking at their background and their ability to be able to deliver it. But very few businesses fail because a product isn't delivered. So, more businesses fail because they never sold the thing yeah. uh, afterwards. So, we're not usually that concerned about the product. But, you know, if these people are incredible people, then we're pretty confident that they're going to deliver it. It might take a little bit longer. It might cost a little bit more. That's the nature of development. Yes. But, but we're pretty confident it's going to get done. Yes. Um, so, But there's no excuse for not having some level of traction or validation. And that we see as a big problem um, because businesses will come to us and they'll go, yeah, but we haven't got a product yet, so we haven't t- spoken to any of our customers. And we're like... Well, so you're building a product without knowing what your customer wants. Why haven't you got... So that's, again, it's a red flag. You need to get off your ass and go out there and talk to, you, to your customer or your potential because they're the ones using your product at the end of the day. They're the ones that are going to pay for this.
0: So that's a, a really important point. Um, again, I've seen this you know, in uh, my uh, experience around the traps as well. People go off and sometimes invest huge amounts of money in building a machine or some sort of solution but they didn't validate the ID properly, or they didn't some of their assumptions were completely erroneous, and they've got something that is essentially a massive white elephant. yeah for startups that require you know a reasonable sort of investment in actual the product build phase, mm. right what are some ways that they can do this this validation piece So you talked about tractional validation a minute ago
1: what What does that look like? Yeah. So it can be at one end of the extreme, as simple as it's just obvious that if you can deliver this product, there's a demand for it. Yep. Uh, and we have a few in our portfolio like that. Mm-hmm. So we have a you know a one in a health tech, for example, and you know that you know that they're trying to solve some huge, gigantuan problems that nobody's been able to solve before. So you know that if they get it in, there is a solution. You know, you know, it's it, a winner. It's, it's a, winner, to a winner, absolutely. Yeah. It's just a matter of now getting pricing, distribution, all the rest of the stuff right. Yeah. Um, other times, it's not so obvious, in which case, you know, going out there and talking to your customers and we'll be impressed if, Companies or founders have gone out there and they've surveyed a lot of companies, okay, uh, or, or a lot of you know potential customers, whatever they you know whether it's a company or a customer um, that, that they, they've got uh, or they're after. So they're, that's sort of stuff that we'll be looking for. But we know that it's going to take a while, for, usually the first twelve months before they get that product market fit.
0: And now for the entrepreneur perspective, Mina Radhakrishnan is the founder and CEO of PropTech. Different.com.au. Mina herself has a design background and was a product designer for Google and also for Uber when they had just 20 employees. Mina has bought design thinking to make property management less painful for investors by creating a platform that manages properties for just $100 per month. And Different has raised $13 million in capital so far including from the likes of leading VC firm, Squarepeg Capital. I asked Mina how she did this and what impact it had on her business. And um, you've successfully raised uh, a fair bit of capital for different. I mean, are you able to share roughly how much the capital raise has been to date? Um,
3: yeah, we we it's um yeah it's probably we've raised we've raised a, a just over thirteen million dollars now. Million. Um, we, we completed our Series A fundraising um, in April. Uh, I mean, re- recently anyway. And um, I strongly recommend uh, if you can avoid raising during a global pandemic, it's not fun. <laughs> but, um, but I think it speaks to the strength of our business that we were able to to pull that off and and make it come together. And I think it's been a it's been a really good um been a good year for us.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I think that's. In, an incredible achievement. I was speaking with another entrepreneur who um, uh, just managed to f- complete the raise before the pandemic and they kind of breathed a massive, massive sigh of relief. So if you were still kind of trying to bed that down, um, you know, hats off to you.
3: Yeah. And I think like one thing that's really important for people who are thinking about building venture-backed startups is to make sure that they really understand the economics of how venture capital works. Yep. Um, and that VC is not a good fit for all businesses um, and it, it, just, it it's not it doesn't define whether or not your business is a good one. Now that's not to say that we shouldn't have venture capital. I absolutely think that we should, and I think that like it will improve the Australian ecosystem to have more venture capital and more of these funds invested in early stage startups. Um, but you have to recognize that like you know venture capital is like a hits business, right? It's like the music industry. It's like as a fund you're expecting to make like outsized returns on a few of your companies um and lose a whole lot of them and the rest of them kind of in the middle and like that's whatever like you really have to 10x yourself in order to be valuable and you have to remember that that's the lens at which an investor is looking at that from um in terms as you think about as you think about kind of what your what your pitch to investors is um a, a lot of it i think, is being really clear about your narrative what you think you can accomplish what you think you can do and i think like most investors know especially like early stage startups like what you think you're going to build, the timelines that you're going to build it in, and you're like, you know, projected success metrics and stuff are just like made up. They're all imaginary. Nobody knows yeah. when you start out, right? The key is like, are you learning? Are you growing? Do you have the right vision for where it's going to go? And are you the right person? Do you have the skills necessary to execute on that and make it happen? And I, I think that's the thing that most people are looking for um, in early stage. So it's important to be honest about kind of where it is. and and But at the same time, like, you know, Tell a big picture story, but be realistic, right? And I think you have to find it there. And I think the narrative I think is really important. It's like, do you understand what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it? And from the beginning, we've always talked about what different is and the fact that property management is this incredible base. It's a really critical way to be able to build relationships with people, to earn the trust as a property manager. But for us, we've always thought about different as the assistant for the home. And, And that's where we want to go. We know we can do that. But we have to we have to we have to get this foundation right first and that's where we spend a lot of our time and energy um knowing that where our North Star is and you know it's 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 over here and being the home assistant. Um I think another thing I would say is um like one, one thing for, for for me that works really well is like I'm I'm not the model and numbers person at company. My husband is and he's great at that he's very thoughtful in his approach to actually sort of like um Taking the approach around like what does it mean for this business, and, and really answering these key questions around metrics, like what do you, what's your projected, what's your projected customer acquisition cost, um, you know, what do you think the LTV is? Why do you think that's the ltb Pushing making making those assumptions clear around how that's all going to come together, so that when we talk about our business, like we're talking about it both from the perspective of like here's the product. Here's the vision. Here's how it's going to turn into. Here's what matters. You look at, but also from the perspective of your business, all right, well, is this a good business? Like what's your, what, what are your economics? What's your payback period looking like? What's your cash? And, and I think you have to be able to speak to both sides of that. So for me, I think that's one of the great things about having a co-founder is that, you know, like we have very different things that we're good at and it's the combination of those things. That I think ultimately creates a better business.
0: And now another word from our sponsor.
2: Hi, it's Ben again from WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. I mentioned earlier in the show how we've developed a buy now, pay later digital marketing solution for small businesses. If you want to grow but cash flow is holding you back, WebBuzz offers you a way to invest in marketing with no interest and nothing to pay for up to three months. It's a simple five-step process and here's how it works. Number one, book a video meeting with our team. Two, choose a digital marketing package. Three, apply online for funding. Four, get approved. Five, start your campaign with zero dollars to pay up front. You can use it for lead generation, content, branding, SEO, or social media campaigns. Our buy now, pay later digital marketing is just the thing you need to get sales flowing again. So get that life is good feeling back in your business. Go to webbuzz.com.au BNPL. That's webbuzz.com.au slash BNPL, and download a free info pack to learn more.
0: So the problem we set out to solve in this episode was raising capital for startups, how, when, and what venture capitalists look for in a product. Our product design experts Carrie Peters from Us Two and Ross Gales from Pollen revealed the common mistakes and pitfalls that founders make drawn from their personal observations and experience. We also heard a great real-life case study from our entrepreneur guest Mina at Different. And of course, our feature interview with venture capitalist Emlyn Scott was an amazing insight into the capital-raising process from the VC perspective. I hope their collective wisdom has given you ideas to crack the code to growth in your own venture. Now, there's really so much value in this episode that when it comes to summarising, it's kind of hard to know where to start. Uh, For once, I'd actually recommend you download the written transcription of this episode and take your own notes. You can find that on our website at webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. But if I had to nominate some key takeouts, here are five conclusions that we can all draw From this episode. Number one, investors want a business, not just a product. It doesn't matter how brilliant your product is, if the founding team is not seen to be up to the task of running a business, VCs will not invest. Number two, be clear on the problem you're solving. The harder the problem is to solve and the bigger the market for a solution, generally, the easier it will be for you to get investor interest. Number three, vision is important. As Emlyn said, investors want to see that the founders have a clear vision of how their product solves the problem and affects positive change in the world. As Mina said also, you need to build your narrative. Guess what, storytelling works. Number four, create an amazing pitch deck. Don't skimp on time or money. Invest in good design and iterate until it's perfect. And number five, show you can hustle. If you're asking people who are essentially strangers to invest in your company, they will want confidence in your ability to grow their investment. A passive founder with no drive or ability to sell will not get the deal. So learn how to hustle. As we heard in the Peloton story at the top of the episode, perseverance is key. They wouldn't have succeeded without it. But they also had a vision a clear problem to solve, a huge untapped market, a great product, and a viable business model. Even with all that, 400 VCs still said no. The truth is, raising capital can be a brutal process. It can take up vast amounts of the founder's time, and it's not uncommon for entrepreneurs to burn out during the process. Raising capital is not for everyone. So if you're about to embark on that journey, be honest with yourself. Get independent feedback on your business idea or product before you go too far down a dead end. But if you can create a product or service that is genuinely 10 times better than anything else out there, investors will be interested. You just need to find the right one who loves your vision enough to go on the crazy journey with you. We're coming to the end, but before we go, it's time for our regular segment, Nerd Under Pressure, where a guest has to share one killer hack or tip they recommend for you, our listeners. Let's find out who our Nerd Under Pressure is today. So, Emlyn, we now come to a recurring segment here at Nerds of Business called...
5: Nerd Under Pressure.
1: I'm sweating now.
0: Sweating. (laughs) The pressure's rising and... uh, you are the VC, uh, venture capital um, nerd here today, uh, Emlyn Scott of CP Ventures, and I think our listeners will be very interested uh, to learn from you. One killer hack that you can recommend to entrepreneurs and startups mm-hmm. for raising capital. I'm going to give you
1: five seconds thinking time. Okay, over I hate to, you. to say this, but there just isn't. There isn't a hack that I know of. There's no substitute for hard work and preparation. It's just that pays off. If you don't do it, it's just not going to happen for you probably. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> that's, uh, everybody's looking that's a bit the, of an anticlimax. Yeah, uh, <laughs> every, everybody's looking for the easy way out and there just isn't. Yeah. You have to do the work. Okay. And if you're not prepared for it, then that's just not the journey you you're to you, Well, that's fair enough, isn't it? And, you know. that, and that's how you get the, goods, the good from the bad. Yeah. yeah, Because, I mean, a lot of it is – about perseverance it's oh, a, you know it 's a brutal journey it 's not something that anybody that I wish on people it yeah. is really lonely and hard and and both Chris and I are founders you know as I said founders first. we know what it 's like to have the sleepless nights and Be you know, the person at the head of the helm having to do salaries, wondering, you know, how are you going to fix this problem? Because it it just doesn't go upwards to the right like the, you know, the diagrams. It's not like that. It's, you know, it's all over the shop and it's a stressful, stressful journey. Yeah. So no single killer hack, but it's just about doing the work. Yes. And there's a lot of things you can do wrong. I mean, there's a heap of things you can do wrong, but there's no killer hack to to raising capital that I know of. Okay. Sadly. (laughs) We'll take your word
0: for it. (laughs) I'm sure you're right. So thanks for listening to episode 20 of the Nerds of Business podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us climb up the ranks and become more visible to other people just like you. Remember, we want to help as many entrepreneurs and business owners as possible. If you've got a question or some feedback, We'd love to hear from you. You can engage with us at webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. That's webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. So feel free to reach out and say hello. I want to thank all of our guests and the team at WebBuzz for helping me put this show together. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode, which is Seller Beware. Navigating the pros and cons of e-commerce and online advertising platforms. Until then, I'm your host, Darren Moffat, and I look forward to nerding out with you next time. Bye for now.